0: It much easier. Just yeah. a little bit yeah. easier, say you just can't live that negative way. If you know what I mean, make way for the positive day, cause it's new. If it's a new feeling, yeah, said it's
1: a new science. Welcome back. David Penn here. It's the 82nd episode of the Professor Penn Podcast coming to you. Recording on the 20th of December, going up on the 21st at 7.30 p.m. Good jul. Merry Christmas. This is our Merry Christmas edition because the next time we come back, it'll be the 26th. So this is going to have to hold us over with a little Christmas cheer. And after all, it is Wednesday before Christmas in America in 2023. Christmas started, I don't know, Thanksgiving. (laughs) Productivity is not at a high point in our culture these days. But, you know, things do wind down before Christmas, and that's been going on since I was young. Now, I'll tell some of you who don't remember this. Back in the 80s, we used to work until about 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Christmas Eve, full bore, full go. Because we, back in the 70s and 80s, we were the China of the times. We were productive. We were all trying to get rich. We were all scurrying in the rat race. We didn't know it was the rat race at the time, of course. Played a little Bob Marley to start out, you know, and I, frequently come back to Bob Marley, and I'm going to make a a funny statement. I hope some of you get this. For me, growing up Jewish, when I heard Bob Marley, I heard Rastaman vibration. It sounded like a Christmas carol to me. I know that sounds weird, but you know what they're talking about is a certain kind of vibration, the Rastaman vibration, which the Rastaman wanted that vibration 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and why it felt like a Christmas carol to me was because in our society, we get the Rastaman vibration about once a year around the holidays. That's when we have the Rastaman vibration. So, you know, we all get to be a Rastaman this week. I want to thank free people. Radio. I want to thank the free people also. Truth-seeking media. We need your support. It's the holidays. You go to freepeopleradio.com. There's a store there, coffee mugs, T-shirts, cool stuff which you can actually use. It's not a donation. It's a quid pro quo. You give us some of your money and we give you some good stuff that you can actually use in your life and your support in this station. And I need your support and I'm not afraid to ask for it because this thing is expensive. So thank you for helping. I know you like the content, those of you who are following me, because I get, you know, the good feedback in the live chat. The live chat's great. You know, I'm really enjoying this live chat, and I, I encourage all of us to get into this live chat. And I'm going to ask you, please, because I forget, subscribe, leave comments, push the content out, bring friends and family, say, hey, I'm watching this old dude, he's pretty cool. Let's check him out because the only way we get a politically motivated community together is through peer-to-peer engagement. This is the hard part. Now, first of all, we carry a judgment in our society. Don't talk about politics and religion, particularly at the Christmas dinner. But we know that doesn't work because people can't help themselves. So part of this podcast, what we're going to start doing is, how do we talk to people in a way that's not polarizing? Because actually, Actually, the American nationalist is not polarizing. We're being painted as being polarizing. But what could be more unifying than love your neighbor as you love yourself? That's pretty unifying. Precinctstrategy.com, Merry Christmas to Dan Schultz. Dan is following what we're doing here on Free People Radio. We're following Dan because we're part of the same community the community of people that are willing to get off the couch and do something to preserve faith and freedom and family in the years to come. i got a young producer. He's in his early 20s. He probably doesn't realize what they got in mind for him in just about 10 years. This is really critical. It's really critical. The young people, and, and I have five kids. They're all young. They're all raised on the same brew of climate change, social equity, and democracy. So let's think about it again in case we have some new viewers today. Climate change. I absolutely agree there are problems with the climate. In fact, I'm sure they're poisoning me with industrial chemicals that we don't need to have in the supply chain. They could be removed. I want to start there. We have environmental issues. We do. But when the solution to the environmental issues is deindustrialization, we need to think that through, because deindustrialization ensures poverty. But if the and you know if you love the earth that much and you're willing to be poor, hey, the globalists have a platform for you. You can just jump right on that train. You're going to head right off to poverty. And how they kind of put the nail in that coffin is they remind everybody that there's huge social inequities caused by colonization. Therefore, we all must have the same equity, not equal access to opportunity, but equity. That means we've all got the same thing, which is the hijacking of a very important word, equity, which means the value of your shares in an organization. They hijacked the word of value and turned it into a communist concept of everybody having the same thing. So if you're willing to give up everything to save the planet, the justification is even easier because we have to even everything out so it's fair. And fairness sounds so naturally appealing to young people because they haven't done anything yet. You know, when some people take off and work their asses off and other people sit around and play video games and pick their asses, okay? These two groups are different people. And what we're being told is the outcome is supposed to be equitable, the same. You know, if you like that, get on that globalist train. If you want to have the same thing as everybody else, and that means everybody's poor. And the third one, democracy. Oh, great. That means we're fighting wars all over the world to defend democracy because it's such a great idea. And nothing will make you poorer than war. So if you like this platform of poor, poor, and poor, go hang out with the globalists. And you notice I'm not saying Democrat or Republican, because there's one party, one party, the uni party, which is a nice way of saying, well, it's a nice way of saying as we're going to talk about again today, fascism, which is fighting with communism to distract us from the truth. And here's the truth. We have such beautiful documents that undergird our social compact as Americans. Where did these documents go? Why do we not study these documents from the moment we're born until the moment we die? And I'll tell you why. If we understood how magical and majestic our documents were, that we stand on, that we are not united by blood or an ethno-nationalist common tribal identification, that we're people from all over the world, from all kinds of different tribes, and we come together united by a set of ideas. What an evolution of human consciousness that is. I mean, if you're a Han Chinese, right? Man, you're proud you're a Han Chinese. I know a lot of Chinese. They are proud of being Han Chinese. Proud but everybody thinks the same thing. Here in our country, we come from different backgrounds and we have different ideas. We're on different street corners, but we're united by great ideas like the First Amendment. And let me read this to you because this is like a prayer. Congress, that's our representatives. That's we the people, the Congress. That's me, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Man, that's like a prayer. That is so smooth. Now, when the the founders wrote this, it was a long time ago. If you espoused non-Christian beliefs, you were automatically labeled a Satanist because they were very clear about this stuff before education scrambled everybody's brains. So the founders could not envision atheism as a religion but that is it is exactly what happened this document the first amendment make no law respecting an establishment of religion actually became the gateway to a state religion of darwinism and darwinism has all of the attributes of a culture of a religion it has a creation myth the origin of the species it has heroes great men like Charles Darwin and Spencer and Galton and goes forward with scientists right up to this day, right up to Tony Fauci, who said, you know, he's the science. You know, this is a religion science. It's become a religion. It used to be, and it still is in some circles, a method of inquiry into the nature of the harmony of the universe. Science is an inquiry into the nature of the harmony of the universe. It takes a long time to get down to that, right? It's rather divine. So people like to come up with quick patches, like they know the truth, instead of saying that they're truth-seeking. I mean, there was a lot of settled science that's been overthrown. I could go on and on about settled science that's overthrown by subsequent research and new modeling. So in our country, in this gateway that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, atheism, which is viewed to be non-religious, Darwinism, which is viewed to be non-religious, because that's a scam, it's a con, has worked its way into every nook and cranny of our governance, our entire output, the, everything we do in this country is in service to the scientific method and its flower, the military-industrial complex. It's a violation of the First Amendment. I I just see it so clearly. So, of course, people are going to jump up and they're going to start speaking about this. And just yesterday or the day before, the European Union is preferring charges against Elon Musk and X seeking to eliminate the free speech that's breaking out on X. Now, I'm not here to argue about Elon Musk. I'm not going to judge the man. I'm not a judge. But I know on X, nobody's taking my tweets down. That's cool. I like that. I like the fact that I can express myself. And, of course, what we're expressing is a movement of the people a movement of politics for freedom. And there's no rules over there. I mean, there's a lot of anti-Semitism over there, and I can understand how that will be used to discredit acts. But we're not weak. You know, I I was brought up in a different generation. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. So the people that are out there calling me names, hey, that doesn't hurt me. I don't even need to call your names back because labeling is a distortion. The press, the press, what's going on with the press? We're going to talk about that today because that's where the battle is. What we do when we start our uh, podcast is we pray. Now it's Christmas. It's Christmas, right? What could be more important? than praying at Christmas time because there's nothing else on my mind. It's just you and me. I'd like to say it was snowy outside, but, you know, global warming has been very, very good to Minnesota. It's going to be about 40 degrees today. This is a snowless lead up to Christmas. Now, it may snow between now and Monday. I don't know. But it's very, very warm here, very unusual, and that gives us pause to think, what's going on? Global climate change is making Minnesota a much nicer place to live. Isn't that interesting? Why am I giving up all my freedom and all my economic self-sufficiency? Because the waters might be rising on Miami Beach. You know, we could make everybody poor or the Miamians might have to move. And we're not really thinking about all the different possible options why is everybody suffering? Why are the people in Wyoming paying for the people that are living in Mauritius? I mean, this is a little crazy, right? But it's a, it's a great con. And this is the time we can get clear, pray, get into communion with God, think about our relationship with the, with the eternal, with the supernatural. And I get so much interesting feedback on this praying. You know, a lot of people tell me it's great, but every time I do it, I watch the engagement on the live premiere go down. People turn it off. They don't like it. Some of them don't like it. So if you're about to turn this off when I pray, please stay, because what we're doing as a group, this is a group energy activity. We're opening the possibility for a miracle, because we certainly need one. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds, thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds, thank you for creating me in your in-, in thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds, thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds, thank you for making me free blessed are you god and king of all worlds thank you for healing the blind blessed are you god and king of all worlds thank you for feeding the people blessed are you god and king of all worlds thank you for releasing the bound blessed are you god and king of all worlds thank you for raising up the downtrodden blessed are you god and king of all worlds thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds, thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds, thank you for our American courage. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds, thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds, thank you for restoring strength to the weary. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds, thank you for sending your only begotten Son to die on the cross that I might be saved. Forgive us, Father, for we have sinned. Pardon us, our King, for we have willfully transgressed, for you pardon and forgive. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds, thank you for you are gracious and ever willing to forgive. Well, this is a different kind of a war, and uh, even though uh, it's Christmas, it's an unusual Christmas. I'm going to try to relax today, but I'm going to weave into the rest of this podcast examples of why we really have to be a little different this Christmas. I'm not saying we don't celebrate our families. I mean, our families get together. We have a moment of peace. I'm going to talk about what that means to me, I'm sure. But things are different, and we need to be aware that we're moving into one of the most potent years, really, in American history, if not human history. It's a different kind of a war. Elliot, can you replay? We played this on the last podcast, but it's so noteworthy. Uh, Can you put this up uh, again? Thank you, sir. What would a second Donald Trump term
2: look like?
0: Well, he cannot be the next president, um, it, it, because
2: if he is... You can't imagine the things that he's going to do. Mexico, Canada, we can't go to Canada, because eventually Canada will become annexed to America. And shoot visitors to the White House. Yeah, that means he can shoot the First Lady.
0: We're going to see violence the likes of which we didn't even see on January 6th.
2: Make it illegal to run against him, to throw his opponents in jail, to shut down the media. He will make himself into the Fuhrer, and he will make everybody raise their hand and salute him. Using martial law against the American people. Terminate the Constitution. Rewrite the Constitution. Create mass internment camps. Throw everyone into Gitmo. Might be sent to jail or their rights might be suppressed especially minority groups in society. You might have any number of things happen to you and your family. Every one of us, our freedom, our liberty, none of us is safe. It's going to have people around him executing against an enemy's list. Assassinate generals. Ordering troops. Uh, to um, attack American citizens. Trump's very well armed and extremist base will try to kill people. Going to, he's going to basically burn the house down. He will unravel the institutions of our democracy. Draw similarities between Mussolini and Hitler. Adolf Hitler and Benito Mussolini. It makes Donald Trump even more dangerous. He wants to take away your vote. Senate and the House are immediately going to be paralyzed. People will begin in their minds to censor themselves. They might say, well, maybe I shouldn't say this. this is the end of democracy I think that could be the end of our democracy. Democracy is dead if Trump is re-elected.
0: you up to Putin, that democracy will be at risk.
2: The absolute destruction of the Justice Department as we know it. The Justice
0: Department could be entirely transformed. I am really concerned about that. Every person who was associated with the attempted coup elevated in the administration. He's re-elected. He will curb transgender rights. end of the rule of law.
2: Arrest political opponents. To persecute, not prosecute, but persecute his enemies. Take a wrecking ball to the
0: rule of law. He's going to make the law everyone else will have to follow. A vote for Donald Trump uh, may mean the last election that you ever get to vote in. You
2: to go after the independent and free Parts of American civic life. He
0: would tear down our institutions. purge the government of employees.
2: Department by department effort to weaponize the powers of the government. To use the military to quash protests. Reading the government of all democratic safeguards. Junking American democracy as we have always known it. That he would try to stay in office beyond a second term. That he would never leave office. There's no question. Trump is reelected. He won't leave. Donald Trump will never leave office voluntarily. And what that means is that everybody who wants us to remain a republic
0: has to put every other thing aside and work together urgently
1: right now to stop that from happening. I agree with uh, Rachel Maddow. We have to put everything aside to maintain the republic. You know, they used the republic at the end. That was interesting. Everything was about democracy, democracy, democracy. You know, democracy is really mob rule when it's, you know, the most people get to vote. And here's what we think. We voted for it. Therefore, it's good. That's not true. We vote for things that are terrible because people have no borders. What does that mean? There's a physical border and there's a spiritual border. And when your spiritual border dissolves, so does your physical border. And when you have no spiritual border, you will vote for things that are actually not good for your well-being because you've been made stupid. Yes, Rachel Maddow and all the rest of these people, they're all very wealthy. They're all on the payroll of the communist wing of the Uni Party. And they're terrified, terrified. They're terrified that a faith-filled group of people would come back into power, and this time we know what we're facing. We didn't really have it too well figured out in 2016 because these people were hiding, but they're not hiding hiding anymore. You know, Donald Trump, man, I got people in my circle of uh, political activism that don't like Trump, and they don't like him because they think he's undisciplined. They want him to keep his mouth shut and blend in because they want to win. You know, Trump, I'm starting to understand Trump better and better. This guy really knows he's got these people on their heels, and he's thumbing them in the eye and getting them to act more and more crazy because that's crazy. He'll never leave the office. Come on, he left the last time. What's your evidence for that, for example? I mean, it's just these people are unhinged. So what does Trump do? He helps them get unhinged. Can you please play? Elliot number one, number one.
0: To the United States, where Republican frontrunner Donald Trump waded into yet another controversy, could a second Donald Trump presidency slide into dictatorship? This is the question Americans are asking less than a year before the polls. Trump has responded to these speculations in his typical fashion. At a televised event in Iowa, he laughed off the matter. While declining to rule out abuse of power if he wins the presidency again,
2: under no circumstances you are promising America tonight you would never abuse power as retribution against anybody except for day one. Except for he's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning, I want to close the border and I want to drill. That's not. That's that's not. That's not retribution. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, he keeps, we love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator.
0: Apart from American media outlets, including the Washington Post.
1: Now, I'm not going to trouble you with this. This is Wyan, which is an Indian news media conglomerate. And you can tell the Indians are getting concerned. Why? Because the Indians are building up a huge export economy, a mercantilistic economy very similar to the Chinese. And where do their goods go? A lot of them come to the United States. And they're afraid because, you know, if Trump comes back into power, oh, those crazy Americans might build their own factories, employ their own people, stop taking care of the world In taking care of the poor people that live in, oh, North Minneapolis or South Chicago or the Bronx. We might actually care one for another here. That doesn't mean we don't care about the Indians or the Chinese. But how can we help anybody if we can't help ourselves? And we've gotten to the point that we can't help ourselves. So there's Trump. You know, they're saying he's going to be a dictator. He said, yep, on day one, I'm a dictator. People went wild in the stands. Hey, you know what? He's just messing with these people. Rob, he's messing with them. Let's play number two, because he really goes down the drain pipe on this one all the way to the bottom.
2: We got a lot of work to do. You know, when they let, I think the real number is 15, 16 million people into our country, when they do that, we got a lot of work to do. They're poisoning the blood of our country. That's what they've done. They poison mental institutions and prisons all over the world, not just in South America, not just the three or four countries that we think about, but all over the world, they're coming into our country from Africa, from Asia, all over the world. They're pouring into our country. Nobody's even looking at them. They just come in. Uh, The crime is going to be tremendous. The terrorism is going to be, terrorism is going to be. And then we built a tremendous piece of the wall, and then we're going to build more. We got a lot of work to do, you know, when they let I think the real number is 15, 16 million people into our country. When they do that, we got a lot of work to do. They're poisoning the blood of our country. That's what they've done. They poison mentalists. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. They're poisoning the blood of our country. Now, I was watching Morning Joe this morning. I like to watch Morning Joe before I come join you because it gets me up to date on what everybody's thinking, and I like a lot of things they say on Morning Joe. Let me make an admission. I think it's a pretty smooth program. But, you know, this is how you do a little opposition research. And this poisoning the blood thing, oh, their heads were blown up from this thing. It was just, boom, they can't deal with it. Because, you know, it's, they're viewing it as a belt-high fastball. Because, of course, this is the kind of rhetoric that Adolf Hitler used. And they're really working on making Trump into Hitler. And, of course, Trump, he's Peck's little bad boy. Okay, yeah, they're poisoning the blood. So for the Stu Peters types out there and the Nick Fuentes types out there, saying up front I have no idea what was in Trump's mind, let's just talk about this thing just for a second because you guys are dumb. The blood, okay, the blood, the blood. The blood's a scam. Traditions are not transmitted through the blood. You know, this is uh, Stu Peter's thing all the time. The Jews, they're not really Israelites. They're Khazarians. Okay, who cares? It doesn't mean a thing because Christ said, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And I have to to laugh. Royce and I were talking about this one time, and we're talking about the Lost Tribes of Israel because there's all these cultural remnants all through Africa. You know, there's all these Africans, and they have these Jewish customs, like they don't eat pork, or they keep the Sabbath on Saturday, but they're not really Jewish. They've, you know, they've assimilated into their local culture, but they have these holdover cultural artifacts from Israel. And Roy said something really cracked me up. He got, you know, he, we we're talking about the Khazarian Jews. He said, Well, at least these guys kept the religion. These Israelites, hey, you got a 23 and me, these motherfuckers to find out who they are. I thought that was hilarious. That's going to get a, a little censor here from Elia, but I mean, you, let me say it one more time. You got a 23 and you got a 23 and me, these mother to find out who they are. That's just hilarious. They're sellouts. These Israelites that, you know, that Stu Peters and Nick Fuentes, they want to point to as being the essential Israel. These people sold out who hung on to the old ways. Okay, let's say the Khazarians had nothing to do with the Israelites. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So let's take that a step further. Who are the Christians? What religion are they practicing? Mr. Peters, Mr. Fuentes, who do you think you are? So Trump just wades right into this thing with this blood comment because this guy is a lot smarter than people give him credit for. This comment cuts a lot of different directions. First of all, He's given the left more fodder for Trump's Hitler, which he's obviously not. And that just makes his supporters see a bigger distinction between the fascists, the communists, and the Christians. Because if you're in that white Christo nationalist movement, which includes black people and Jews, hey, hey, me, I'm in this movement. It's not just whites. It's an American movement based on ideas. And you see, when he uses, uses this blood concept, it's a scam. He's messing with people. Ideas are transmitted in peer-to-peer interaction. I have children that follow the Jewish tradition, and I have people in my family that don't. I tried. They all got my blood but you know there's no blood guarantee it's an ideological concept and the concept that trump is pitching to the american people is do you want to be a global citizen or an american citizen do you want to have money or do you want to be poor do you want to have peace or do you want to be at war it's very simple we're getting this down to a very simple set of distinctions and this is scaring the hell out of the left, be they the fascist left or the communist left, because when people figure out that if you're a leftist, you're going to be poor and at war, hey, they're probably going to give it up unless they're chemically altered in some strange way. One more on Trump that I think really sums it up, and this is really why the left's going bananas. Listen to this one, number three.
2: For too long, politicians have tried — oh, have they tried — to centralize authority among the hands of a small few in our nation's capital. I see them all the time. Bureaucrats think they can run over your lives, overrule your values, meddle in your faith, and tell you how to live, what to say, and where to pray. But we know that parents, not bureaucrats, know best how to raise their children and create a thriving society. And we know that families and churches, not government officials, know best how to create a strong and loving community. And above all else, we know this. In America, we don't worship government, we worship God.
1: That's good, thank you very much. So this goes back to that uh, First Amendment uh, our government has become Darwinist uh, not realizing we didn't realize we the people didn't rea- realize that Darwinism had become a religion and it is so we now have a government that is recognizing the state religion the religion of scientism and we people that believe in the one true God the living God we're sitting out here and we're the hunted and Trump's our hero whether you like Trump or not he's saying the thing out loud And, boy, is he getting people to, you know, go bananas. Like right here in Minnesota, the Republican Party of Minnesota is working overtime. The party, not the people. The party is working overtime to defeat the Trump nationalist movement. They're just, someone told me in the know, and I cannot verify this. I'll work on it, and I'll get back to you on it. So this, because when Professor Penn talks to you, when he's making up a story or it's hearsay, I like to say this is hearsay. But someone that I respect, that has a lot of insight, that's in the party, an officer told me that the Republican National Committee was spending $600 million on defeating the Trump movement in this election cycle. So Alex Plekish, if you're watching, which I know you do, maybe you can clarify this. I invite you on the show. Alex, Barb Sutter, David Han. I know your confidants are bringing you this podcast got a beautiful studio out there for an interview. You're afraid to come here. We can Skype it because there's black people around here. We wouldn't want to scare you because, you know, someone said that in the very high reaches of the party that let's not have Royce White around because he's a physical danger to Republicans. Oh, come on. You know, so if you're afraid to come here, we got to work around. It's called Skype, but I invite you to the studio because this allegation, this unsubstantiated allegation, which I would like to talk to, Republican National Committee members to clarify the rumor, the rumor that the RNC is spending $600 million to defeat the Trump movement in 2024. Please come on because we all would like to talk about it and I'd like to be corrected if it's not true. So please, you're please, I'm inviting you. In fact, I'm going to reach out to you to talk about this one. This is a bombshell. And you know, this just goes into rumors and half-truths and bullshit. You know, just let me give you one little one that came up out of the Biden administration, something I follow very careth- carefully, which is trade, because, you know, I do international trade. as part of my life. And we have a secretary of commerce. Her name is Ramondo, And she's a Bidenite. And she said something. I'm going to read you the quote. They asked her. A journalist asked her if she was, if the Commerce Department, she's the head, if she was considering expanding export controls on advanced technology vis-a-vis trade with China, cutting them off. And she said, absolutely. In biotechnology, AI models, AI products, cloud computing, supercomputing. So the short answer is yes. And she continued. Communication is a good thing, but don't confuse communication with weakness or softness. On matters of national security, we've got to be eyes wide open about the threat. This is They're talking about China. This is the biggest threat we've ever had, and we need to meet that moment. The world needs the United States to manage our relationship with China responsibly. To avoid escalation, we've got to do all that but make no mistake about it, China's not our friend, and we need to be eyes wide open about the extent of the threat. Sounds very America first, very nationalist. And what she's saying is, is that the fruit of our scientific inquiry, and by the way, You and I pay for that because that's all funded by the government and gives our money, our energy to the academic institutions and the scientists in those institutions which pursue technical superiority. And the fruits of those labors, they're going to cut the Chinese off at the needs and they're going to keep them from ever catching up with us through export control. Isn't that great? But what a story it is because right now today today going on you know the winter break there are 289,526 Chinese nationals currently studying in our institutions of higher learning they're the very best they're the best China has to offer they don't send the dummies over here these are the top Chinese students in the country and they didn't come to study basket weaving or climate change or social equity—that's not why they're here. I—I I mentioned in a previous podcast that when I went to my daughter's graduation at the University of Chicago, seventy-one students graduated with degrees in physics, and every single one of those seventy-one were Chinese. Every one, like Lee 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 Yang 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 Yang. It's unbelievable. Not a single. Western surname among those graduates. That was an eye opener. So while we speak the game of confronting the Chinese and limiting their access to our high technology, we're just covering up the truth. We got two hundred eighty-nine thousand Chinese students that were teaching how to do this stuff, and we're getting about a hundred thousand. I mean, when I say we our academic institutions are getting about a hundred thousand dollars per Chinese student for tuition it's a money play right no shame so let me tell you who some of these people are Lee C Bollinger he's number one on the hit list Of course when my daughter goes to school Columbia University guess what his pay is to run that university it's three million three hundred eighty nine thousand nine hundred seventeen dollars a year to be a teacher. Hey, that's some good eating. Amy Goodman, University of Pennsylvania, where the Biden Center is funded by the Chinese, $2,473,952. Hey, that's a house in the vineyards. Richard C. Levin, Yale University, $1,375,365 a year to run a university. Oh, that's a good job. Shirley M. Tillman, Princeton University, $948,412 a year. I'm sure all of you are in that category, right? Everybody in the live chat that's making a million bucks a year, hey, put your name in there. We're going to ask you for some money. Drew Gilpin Faust, that's a great name, isn't it? Harvard University, $908,642. David Scorton, Cornell, $817,441 a year. Jim Yong Kim at Dartmouth, $755,999 a year. You know, Professor Kim sounds like discrimination to me. Ruth J. Simmons at Brown, $676,000 a year. Hey, we're getting down to the bottom of the barrel. A mere 700 Gs a year to run a school. Hey, maybe Professor Penn made a mistake not going for the gold here. You know, when I quit, it was the 70s. These people... My father, when I was young, who was a dedicated academic who taught because he loved to teach, worked for thirteen no, six thousand dollars a year in the sixties. We were so poor he worked for the city filling in potholes when I was a young kid. You couldn't even live off the salary and raise a family. Well, that's what happens when the government gets involved because in those days. The government was not involved that heavily. They had just financed the GI Bill after World War II. Now we had the regular people going to university for the first time. The fuse was lit. And just a few generations later, we have a new religion. From sea to shining sea. It's called Darwinism. Did you know you were living in a Darwinist church? I didn't. Look at all these people on the government payroll. This is the military-industrial complex. This is fascism, okay? We think we're sending our kids off to these institutions of higher learning. We're sending them. We're, my daughter, Merry Christmas, honey. You're at a fascist finishing school. And they're just right in, these people, they're leftists, you know, they're right in with the military. Do you know if you're a E9 with over 38 years, not you know not not an officer you're an enlisted person you're making ninety four hundred dollars a month plus free health care plus they feed you and you got a place to live basically you can save hundred twenty thousand dollars a year less taxes i mean you know that's pretty good and my goodness gracious if you are an officer with that kind of time it's eighteen thousand bucks a month you're gonna go right into industry afterwards and become part of the Business side of this equation, they're going to pay you millions of dollars a year to lobby the government. These people are in a business model that the British invented that's based on slavery, debt slavery in our case, drugs. Hey, we're all on drugs. Come on. Now, I'm not on any pharmaceutical drugs. But I take vitamins. I mean, there's drugs that I take. They're nutraceuticals. We're all fueling a drug. You know, you're either taking the doctor's drugs or you're taking vitamins. And if I need doctor's drugs, I'll have to take them. You know, this is is the mindset that we're in. We're in a scientific mindset. Like we're a bag of chemicals. You can just tinker with things and get a better outcome as if it was that simple. We're all in this thing together. Fascism. It's fascism. It's the military industrial complex pervading our whole society. Forever wars. And that's what they teach my kids at school how to be participating in a forever war and feel good about it. Because after all, if we don't have democracy and we don't all agree as democracies, we can't fight climate change. If we can't fight climate change, we won't have equity. Their whole narrative falls apart. Well, it wasn't always this way. Did you know, do you remember being taught, that on December 25th, 1776, the year that we declared our independence from the British, from the British business model of slavery, drugs, and piracy, we said, we're out, we're out. There was a war. Maybe as many as 25,000 Americans died freeing the country from the yoke of British colonialism. Do you remember, Elliot, do you remember what happened on December 25th, 1776? Do you know? He gets an F on this one, but that's where he's at. He's here taking the Professor Penn uh, Masterclass. On December 25th, 1776, Future President George Washington at that time, it was General George Washington, made a, a commando raid. They crossed the Delaware River, crossed into New Jersey, and defeated a Hessian army. We're going to talk about the Hessians in a second. And it was a great victory, and it was a very important, it was a, it was what we would call in football, a Hail Mary Pass. Now think about it. They had Christmas. It was cold. This was before global warming. It was friggin' cold in New Jersey. Cold. Cold. And these were troops. They didn't stay at the Holiday Inn. These people were in tents out in the cold. Half of them were sick from being out in the elements. And they marshaled an army of six, 7,000 people, and they got in boats. And these were not pleasure craft. I mean, these were boats that, you know, these were These were wooden rafts, okay, and these people took 18 cannons with them and the whole crew, and they went across 6,000 people, and they got over on the New Jersey side, and they broke into two columns, and they surprised the Hessians in Trenton, and the head, Hessian, the, the head general, he'd been distracted by a, you know, a spy the night before. They got this guy hammered, and who knows what else they did. We don't have any Polaroids back in those days. But these people were randy. These people were on the move. These were soldiers. Hessians, these were mercenaries. Now, there's an argument that's made that they were really auxiliaries. 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 This is another scam because since they came dressed as Hessians, that's Germans, part of Germany they came from, the Germans were onto this military thing for a long time. They realized that good discipline went a long way to winning wars. And because they needed money, they actually rented out their armies to the British. And, of course, eventually, you know, the royal houses were related here. So there's always been a relationship between the British and the Germans. Of course, they were so closely related, they fought a Darwinist battle for 30, 40 years to see who had the longest sword, so to speak. Ended up in both of them being screwed. We ended up with the uh, British Empire here because we were dummies here in America. But at this time, we were getting divorced from these people, these Darwinists, and they were Darwinists at the time. And why did Washington attack? Well, they just, the the colonialists had been getting that stuffing kicked out of them, to use a Christmas goose kind of a metaphor. You know, the British had landed in Manhattan. They had defeated the the, uh, revolutionary armies. Morale was low. Money was low. People were deserting. People were dying. You know, and the first thing you need to fight a war is people. That's why Minnesota GOP is so careful not to let any new people into the party because they don't want to win. If you want to win, you need people. So Washington knew this. He knew he needed to throw a Hail Mary pass. And he figured if I attack on Christmas, what's the worst thing I could come up with here? The password, the secret password, was victory or death. So these people were all in on this. It was victory or death. In other words, when you were walking up on the revolutionary line, you know, the, the revolutionaries that were fighting these, these colonialists, these Darwinists, the British, and you were coming up on the guards, if you said victory or death, they let you in. If you said anything else, they shot you because they knew you were with the other side they broke into two columns and they attacked the hessians now the hessians the hessians were a mercenary army on the crown's payroll and these people were thought to be quite barbaric they did a lot of drinking they did a lot of raping they did a lot of robbing that's who they were and uh, you know they really inflamed the people the the locals and they they encouraged their behavior encouraged a lot of people to join the revolutionary army cuz what did you have to lose if you just stayed on your farm, they were going to come rob you, rape your women, and then kill you, the Hessians. So Washington thought if you attacked the Hessians and vanquished the Hessians, it'd be a great victory. And that's exactly what happened. He threw this Hail Mary Pass. They went across the Delaware on Christmas, December twenty fifth, 1776. And, you know, it was a miracle. I mean, you have to just think about it. I mean, these people were crossing a river I mean, these were not high-technology boats with, you know, motors. These people were rowing themselves across this river, and it was dangerous. And, in fact, there were supposed to be three crossings of the river, and only one of them worked out, which was George Washington. And maybe that had something to do with it. There might have been something supernatural about George Washington. We used to portray George Washington in this country Before the progressive era of education, we used to portray him as a divinely blessed and inspired leader. When you look at pictures of him, he was surrounded by a kind of a halo. We had lore about him. George Washington could not tell a lie. Thou shalt not lie. That would align him with the Ten Commandments and spirituality. Because, you know, most politicians are full of shit. You might want to write that one down too. It's Christmas, okay? I'm letting the I'm letting the inner dog out a little bit. I'm having some fun with you. But we don't teach, we don't learn. I, I mean when I went to school, Washington was taught in passing. You know, something you might want to do on Christmas Day is go to Wikipedia. Because they have a beautiful story. I mean, I'm paging through it. It's many, many pages. It'll take you some time to read it. Because Wikipedia. As us as it is, is a good source of historical information. And read this two or three times, the history of George Washington crossing that Delaware, because it's an American miracle. It was a miracle, a miracle. It is a moment in American history where God intervened into our country's destiny keeping things on his track. That's why we pray. I mean, we pray to have God work in our lives, to dedicate our, you know, this is another thing. If you're a narcissist, it doesn't work. See, God's got a great governor on this whole thing. If you're praying to get things, God looks at you and says, keep trying. Keep working at it. You know, when you actually are ready to give something over, like he told me, like I said, Professor Penn is a, I'm a world-class sinner, world-class. And God, for whatever reason, which I don't understand yet, maybe down the road we'll all understand why God said to me, I heard it in my ears. And of course, my mother and father thought I needed, you know, psychological services when I told them Christ had appeared to me because we're Jewish. Mom, dad, I had a very extreme experience. Jesus Christ appeared to me and he talked to me. Oh, we're taking you to the psychiatrist. You need help. I said, No, I don't think so. I mean, he said to me, I will restore your body whole for my work and your enjoyment. And I was sick at the time. And when I say sick, you know, I was super healthy. I mean, like, ass kicking healthy. And then the very next day, I was dying. And I went to my rabbi and I said, Rabbi, I'm dying. And he said, Read this, my son. He gave me a book in Yiddish, which I read, which said, Do whatever the Darwinists say. And I thought, Whoa, these people are on the wrong track. They can't help me, those Darwinists. I need supernatural help. See, now I was willing to give something to get something because my ass was over the pit of flames. And I was nervous and scared and anxiety. You know, like I say, anxiety is my old friend. Like I'm having a lot of anxiety. I'm used to having anxiety because when I was in my 20s, I met it for the first time. Not like, oh, I don't know if I can pay my rent. Oh, I don't know, my girlfriend might not love me. No, they tell me I'm going to die. And they're telling me how long I got and what my chances are for surviving. Not something most of you have heard. And I bet when you look at me, now some of the smarter ones will say, yeah, I can see you were sick. But most people have no idea that at one moment I weighed 225 with a 33-inch waist, and the next moment I weighed 120 pounds. Oh, that'll scare you. And God said to me, I will restore your body whole for my work and your enjoyment. So I took all my enjoyment on a front load because I wasn't ready. And then a moment came where I said, oh, I better pay back or I'm breaking an agreement with God. That's my story. What's your story? I'm not special. I really am going to tell you I'm not special. I just had a deep intellectual curiosity in knowing if God was real or not from the time I was about, oh, I don't know, old enough to think. Because I was around all these religious people. What what were they believing in? See, you probably did not go into a room regularly with people who had been in the Holocaust and had come to America with numbers on their arms because they believed in God, okay? Because they believed in God, the one true God. Something Stu Peters and Nick Fuentes and Kanye, they don't get this part of it. They don't know these people. I know them. Now, do they have flat spots? Of course they do. But I've said this before. In the history of the world, Christ came 2,023 years ago. Most of the Jewish people missed it. There's something like uh, 16 million Jews worldwide there's 7.6 million Jews in America, Jews of all kinds, those that believe in God and those that believe in science. And I'm going to tell you, most of them are scientific. We don't have that many people that believe in the God of Abraham left, but they're, they're, but they're making a comeback because they convinced their women to have 8, 10 kids. So they're making, a, they're making a comeback. But if you look at the numbers in aggregate still in our country, most of the Jews in America don't practice Judaism. They practice Zionism. That's my concession to Stu Peters and Nick Fuentes. I agree with them on this. They're not practicing Judaism. They're practicing Zionism. But that does not mean within this huge population of 16 million Jews worldwide, there is not an enormous population of Jews that are really seeking communion with the one true God. And I grew up with that group. And man, when you're in a room with a bunch of old-timers that went through the Holocaust all that destruction. They saw all those horrors and they supplicate themselves to the Lord with all of their heart and soul. And you're a little kid and you're putting that stew pot. That will make you ask some questions. Wow. And they'd say to you, look at this. They pulled, you know, we knew everybody dressed in suits for respect. They had the yarmulkes on, the prayer shawls, and they pull back, you know, their sleeve and they, you'd see they'd have that, that number on. And you could tell these people were trashed. They were not normal. They had been compromised in the extreme, and yet they were praying. It was such a powerful thing to grow up with. It made me want to know God. And, of course, I was raised to be an academic by two communists, so you could imagine the tension and the trouble that I had growing up, the pain of this. You know, could you play number four?
0: To hear sleigh bells in the snow, dream of a white Christmas. Mm-hmm. With every Christmas card, may mm-hmm. mm-hmm. your day and brown. Jim! Cut it, cut it!
1: How could he get that far in five minutes? The lady must have been willing. You know, that looks so cool. There I was, a young kid, and Christmas would come this time of year. We had our three-television black-and-white station. Well, we had had a black-and-white TV because we were poor. My dad was a professor, right? There was color television at the time, but we didn't have one. And I'd go down in the basement by myself because that's who I am. My mom and dad would be upstairs. They left me to my own devices. And had they known I was turning on Christmas movies, they probably would have come downstairs and flipped the television off because even though they were communists, their affiliation with Zionism and Judaism continued. The cultural mechanisms continued even into unbelief. And that's why we've been talking a lot about cultural diffusion, because even though the Zionist Jews and the anti-Jews have nothing to do with faith in the one true living God anymore, they've given up for a life of science. The law, science, doctors, I mean, these you know Jewish people, Yeah, listen to these two Peters. They say, oh, the Jews are controlling everything. You know why? They go to school, you dumb shit. Okay, just like the Chinese in this country are going to be controlling everything in a generation because they get PhDs. They get credentialized within the scientific establishment which sets up a stage for a career running the game. Okay, that's not a good thing. My daughter, please, you're coming home for Christmas. Stay home. Don't go back to this hellhole called Columbia University. I want you to come home. We'll give you a job here at Free People. You could do my social media. You'd be great at it. Of course, she's not going to do this because she's on the track of getting a Columbia degree and then going to law school, probably at Harvard or Columbia, and then she's going to be credentialized to participate in the communist fascist uni party state of america as a leader of that movement and you know we have to make choices as people we're either going to devote ourselves to god or to mammon we can't do both you know some of this bs that's going on my entire life is because this country has had so much prosperity american citizens could get on both sides of the football like you know, I'm working for the government and I believe in the military industrial complex and I'm a Christian. It doesn't work that way. Choose a side. That's where we're at today. It's a moment of clarity. Like alcoholics, they have moments of clarity where they go, oh, I probably can't keep drinking like this if I want to live. That's where we are, America. We can't keep living like this if we intend to live. And I would, I would watch these beautiful, my, my mother and father ignored me because they were so busy with politics. You know, my mother, as I said in the last thing, she was, the McCarthy, she was in the McCarthy for President campaign. My father was fighting the fascists in the university. And when I say fighting them, it got a little brass knuckled. It really did. I mean, this, my father got fired. I mean, it was a big deal. These people were on the front lines. That's why I have a predetermined willingness to do this. And God intervened in my life. He saved me. I was cocked. And he's, not only did he save me, he restored me. I'm not just surviving. I'm super healthy. And for this, I am eternally grateful. That's why I pray. Thank you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. The blind is just a metaphor for all of us that are sick because God heals. I mean, that was, the, that was why one of the reasons people believed was for health and well-being. If you believe, it'll be well with you. Well, that's been pushed to the side by the progressive education, which we all have been acculturated into. But I was watching, you know, that's Bing Crosby. And that was so cool. And here I was, I was a young kid. Now, there was probably, I don't know, three, four feet of snow. I was a Minnesotan then, I'm a Minnesotan now, we played hockey. Hockey. Black kids played basketball. There was a few white transitionary kids that played both hockey and basketball. Talking about the 60s now. But most white kids in Minnesota played hockey. Every day. Not inside. There was no indoor rings. We were before the fiat currency that Nixon gave us in 72 when he removed the dollar from the gold standard so we could pursue empire. No, this is before empire. We were poor. Here's how they made the rinks. They put a hose out there on some grass, and in a couple days there was ice. Okay? That was how we played hockey. And if you were playing high school hockey, they put some boards around it so you could actually play the game. And that's what we did every day. But Christmas would come. And there weren't that many Jewish kids playing hockey. I was a kind of an oddball even then. And I'd sit there, and all my Christian friends could not go out to play on Christmas Day. They went to church in the morning. In my area, it was Cretan. All these kids went to Cretan, and it was Holy Spirit, beautiful church, a big community in Highland Park in St. Paul. All these kids went to Cretan or Holy Spirit. Schools, And then they went to the the parish, the Holy Spirit, which was associated with these elementary and post uh, high school educations. And I had good friends there because they were great athletes and I, you know, I liked hanging around with them. And Christmas would come and they wouldn't come out to play. And I was stuck at home watching all this Christmas stuff. And, you know, frankly, it was really boring. I really wanted my friends to, you know, with sports. Come on, let's play. No, they went to church in the morning. They had a family meal in the afternoon. And they told me, because we were friends, all about it. And I was welcome in their home. And I, you know, I would come over and I knew the fathers and the mothers. They were super kind to me. There was in this Catholic community not a scintilla of anti Semitism, not a scintilla of anti Semitism. I was warmly received into every home in what was essentially a Catholic and Jewish neighborhood, Highland Park in the 60s. But I was exposed to all this uh, Christian material, and uh, you know they were singing Christmas carols in elementary school and then in high school, and I didn't want to sing along with them because I had an identification with being Jewish, and that was painful. We, I, was a, I was different. I was an other. I was not part of a prevailing Christian culture that was America. There was no gas stations open on Sundays. You were supposed to go to church. They wouldn't let you buy gas. Fill up on Saturday. Nobody's going out partying. There was no malls. The bars were closed. The society kept a Sabbath day. They kept a Sabbath day holy. And when did that stop? After we came off the gold standard and the fascism, because fascism is godless, we gave over. Between the end of World War II and the end, of the, seven, the end of the 60s into the 70s, the scientism of fascism completely came to dominate government at every level. But because we still had our Christian traditions and, you know, that amendment, the government will not abridge, and, you know, will not stop us from being Christian. You know, they didn't. They played along the game. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, which it did sneakily by allowing us all to become, you know, secular humanists, Darwinists, godless Darwinist scientists. That's what it did spread that religion up, down, and around. East to west, north to south. That's where we're living. That's the stew pot we're in, stew. Don't blame it on the Jews. Why don't you take all that energy and go organize your precinct so these people caucus with the Republicans and we can change this? That would be a good use of your time. Or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So we could freely exercise our religion. We thought if there was you know things were good. We didn't realize we were going to get to today. And what my mother and father saw, communists that they were, was a Christian belief in God which made man self-governing. And when you have self-governance, you have difference because some people do a better job at self-governing than others. And everything about the communist movement is aimed at eliminating that inequity. And how do they do that? They take the people that are better at self-governing and they yank them down with everybody else so everybody's the same. And my mother and father thought that that was the thing to do because the inequities had gotten so great between the established white Protestant community and the black urban inner cities. There was so much inequity that they caught up in the zeitgeist of their time made a huge intellectual error they chose godlessness as the solution to inequity instead of spreading faith to every person in our society and that's what we're doing in the american nationalist movement it's a kind of a gospel in a way where we're preaching about borders the importance of physical borders but you know that why is there no physical border Because there's no spiritual borders. And this is something each one of us as Americans can do peer-to-peer. What's the first step? I have to start working on restoring my own borders because they're completely eroded and corrupted within me. And we all, if we think through, we take an honest inventory. To some degree, all of us have some degree of corrosion in our border. And why do I know it's all of us? Because there's only one true living God. So we all fall short and to identify that shortcoming and to start to work and to allow God into our life, because we're powerless over fixing this. I need and ask for God to be in my life so that I can fulfill my path of restoring my borders because those borders are the very seven seals through which all hell is pouring into our world we have a personal opportunity in our own conduct in what we think and what we see and it's not easy cuz we're swamped in an illusion of godlessness we i mean i i can't even get into it myself how pervasive it is we have no idea what life would be like if we were really all of us dedicated to faith because it says we could cast a mountain into the sea and that's power so what we need is american nationalists fighting this omnipresent scientism we're now fighting just for the right to believe because as you know the greatest threat to the country i love is me And that's not me saying it. I'm not a threat to the country I love. I love every founding document. I love the idea of living under law, the law of God, being self-governing. Government, get out of our way. They don't like that. That's what we're fighting about. And this fight goes back a long time. You know, ritual. You know, the rituals around Christmas. Now I'm going to say this and people are going to get pissed. And I'm not saying it to piss you off. I'm saying it because we got to deal with the truth. You know, there's no evergreen trees in Bethlehem. There's no wreaths there. You get it? Stu, the symbols that we use, the rituals that we have incorporated into our lives are not as pure as the Stu Peterses and the Nick Fuentes would demand when they call the you know the Khazarian Jews not real Israelites, see they're demanding a kind of blood, blood and genetic purity, which doesn't exist. It was scrambled a long time ago, and that was scrambled by God himself. Just got to go read about the Tower of Babel, because he recognized that if he allowed this science to pursue its end. We would destroy ourselves and challenge his authority. So in the Tower of Babel, we all spoke different languages. We couldn't get together to overthrow and to break the seals. Metaphorically, if that's the way you want to think about it. It's taken humanity all this time to come up with a new language that we can all speak, the language of science. And here we go again. The clone army is going to roll out. Who knows what kind of genetic things they're making? I mean, I, look, I see on X all kinds of rumors. I think I'm a real human. I still bleed. You know, Elliot, I'm not sure about you. Am I sure you're a human? You know, I'm looking in his eyes. You know why I'm sure he's a human? He gets sleepy in the morning. He's still a kid. That's why I know he's not a robot. Or they're going a long way to trick me. But some of these people we're going to be running into very soon are not like us. They're different. Yet we want unity. And one of the ways we can have unity is understanding our traditions. You know, when the Judaism or the nation of Israel spread in the diaspora into Europe and the Roman Empire became the Holy Roman Empire, where do you think these ideas came from? Stu and Nick where did it come from these are Jewish ideas like having one God because the pagans what's the big difference they had many gods and they had their own traditions and rituals and creation myths and as the Holy Roman Empire and that's kind of a scam it was a Democrat and Republican thing we had the military arm of empire that was now using uh, religion to get people better organized. You see, anybody can use anything for good or ill. What's necessarily powerful can give life or take life. So when we say the Holy Roman Empire and we think, oh, this was a holy group of guys. No, not the way I read the history. What I see is a real skulldugrous group of uh imperialists that lived by the sword and died by the sword, Darwinists of the highest order, enslavers, the Romans, said, oh, this Jewish thing, this is really going to get, this is efficient. Let's saddle these people up and get everybody going in a direction. And the direction they went was towards England where all these pagan groups lived. Pagans, they had their own traditions, like gut had their own, they had their own way of thinking about things. And they were conquered. That would be conquered, conquered at the point of a sword. Convert or die. They weren't taking prisoners. You know, I'm looking, one of my associates sending me, a, they're not taking prisoners in the Gaza. You know, this prisoner thing in war, it's always been kind of a scam. Even when they took prisoners, the prisoners died of starvation. Like in the Revolutionary War, most of the deaths of the colonists that joined the Revolutionary Army, most of the deaths, they were taken prisoner and the British made sure they never went home. Isn't that nice? It kind of makes surrendering not a good idea.